Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing? Thank you to uh, Jaren and our worship team for leading us. It's our first Sunday having Jaren lead worship. She did a great job. Thank you. Thank you, worship team. I miss birthdays a lot, but I want to wish a happy 27th birthday to Pastor Oscar Brajas. Come on, let's give him a hand. Today's his birthday. Wow. Was that you? Oh, oh was that you guys? I, I want to challenge some people to give Pastor Oscar some Pentecostal handshakes. You guys know what that means? It's when you give someone a handshake and there's a, a, a dollar, not a dollar bill. <laughs> maybe a 10, maybe something a little better than a dollar, 20, 100, who knows? Ness is like, what? Is that real? I want to highlight a few things before I get into the message today. One is uh, this week we are sending our youth to youth camp, and next week we're sending our kids to kids camp. And it's really cool because just a few years ago, my oldest daughter, Novi, went to camp by herself from our church. It was just we were just getting started and praying that God would uh, grow the church family here. And this year we're sending over 40 kids and that's not counting the counselors, and that's not counting all the kids that couldn't go. And so we're just so thankful for God, how God is building Graceland kids and Graceland youth. I just got a Graceland youth shirt this morning. I don't know why it took me so long, but I'm gonna be wearing a Graceland youth shirt one of these Sundays soon. We believe that the kids and the youth are not the church of tomorrow, but of today. And we want them to know God. So I'm inviting you guys, I'm asking you guys to pray with us for the youth and the kids over the next two weeks. You guys in? Pray that they will meet the living God in power, learn his word. God will touch their lives in ways they will never forget. Also, you guys are well aware we are in a historic moment in our nation uh, with the Supreme Court ruling to overturn uh, Roe v. Wade. It's something that probably many of us thought would never happen. It seems almost unbelievable, but I want to share a few specific things that I believe are really important in our response to this decision. And I also wanna just open up a little bit of my own life and let you see how I handle some things like this and maybe perhaps it could help you in how you handle it. You probably, like me, have family and friends, plenty of them, that aren't on the same page with you in regards to abortion. I have lots. And uh, they see my life, they know my life. And I like to tell those people in moments like this I recognize, uh, I'm not necessarily saying this directly to all of them, but on things like social media and in interactions that I have, I say to them, I recognize that you're on a different page than me and that is okay. And I am completely committed to staying in relationship with you and talking with you with a posture of love and care about your experience, your perspective, and all the nuances that exist here so that they know I'm not against them. And once I have said that, I, I share really plainly what I believe our response as Christians should be. And the first is that we respond with gratitude. We, I believe, should celebrate this step towards love and care for the most vulnerable people in our world, the unborn, the most voiceless people. Life is precious. Every person is loved by God and made in his image. And I believe that includes those in the womb and outside of the womb. And I believe scripture is abundantly clear about that. And you guys know this stat, but since 1973, over 60 million unborn babies have been lost to abortion. And that's 60 million children who were precious 
to God. And many of us here have prayed for this overturning for decades, so it is appropriate to thank God for what he's done. Are you guys with me on that? We praise God for this result. So we respond with gratitude. We also respond with compassion. As followers of Jesus, and certainly here at Graceland Church, we're committed to love and care for anyone that has been through an abortion or has entirely different views than us. We live with compassion and with empathy, not anger and condemnation. And Jesus modeled that for us so very clearly. We are called to love across dividing lines, and the church is meant to be for people, not against people. And I always find it very important in moments like this in our country to remind people or maybe let them know for the first time, you are precious to God, right? Regardless of what side of this you stand on. And let me encourage you. We had a guest speaker last week named uh, David Dukasin. Wasn't he awesome? One yes. No, he wasn't he? I thought he was great. <laughs> this is his book, Neighborliness. Um, I, I picked up a 15 extra copies of this last week on the church, and they're sitting right out there in the foyer on a table to your right once you exit. Feel free to take one if you want to challenge yourself on how Christ may be calling you to love and care for people across dividing lines. I believe it's a prophetic message for our day. You can go ahead and take one. We respond with compassion. So gratitude, compassion, and we respond with action. At Graceland Church, we're committed to continuing our support of women, men, and children that are in desperate situations through very practical help. My family does this, we as a church do it, and we partner with other churches that we're connected with through organizations like CASA, C-A-S-A, which legally supports youth in foster care, legally meaning it helps them with the legalities that they're facing, the challenges. DCFS, which helps with child welfare. Compact Family Services, which helps people with unwanted pregnancies and adoption support. And Save One, which is our post-abortion care ministry, because we seek to live out the call of James 1.27. That pure and beautiful religion is to care for widows and orphans. Who's with me on this? One of my pastors and one of our overseers here at the church, Pastor Rod Loy, said this. The cry for change must be accompanied by passionate, compassionate action. The world needs to see the church respond not with gloating, but with love. Who's with me on this? One of our other overseers, Pastor Bill and his wife Kelly, are here with us today and I live as someone with, a, you can, if you can raise your hand so they can see you, they're all looking around now. I live, yeah, you can give them a hand. They're amazing. Go ahead, do it, please. I live with accountability under the leadership of leaders and pastors like them, um, and they fully uh, affirm that this is the posture and heart of God with issues like this in our time and our day. Um, and we're committed to being a church that functions this way. So I would like to pray uh, before I get into the message. Uh, can you stand again uh, while we pray? Father, we first, we just recognize the significance of this moment, really 50 years of prayers from your people to see a change with this decision in, in Roe v. Wade. So we thank you, God, for the miracle of turning the tide on this, which, which literally will save lives that are precious to you, God. We want to live with gratitude for the miraculous ways you're showing up in our nation and in the world around us. We also, God, make us a people of compassion, Lord. Give us your eyes. Give us your heart. We don't want to have an iota of gloating over anyone. We don't even want to come across that way. We want our hearts to 
break for those that are around us with compassion and love so that we live sacrificially towards them and welcome prodigals home into the family. The last thing we ever want is for people that desperately need to know you, the savior of the world, for them to feel outed even more by the way we may or may not celebrate. So God, help us to be sensitive and have empathy uh, towards those around us. And then God, we are committed um, to saying yes to how you, the Spirit of God, lead us in taking profound action. God, we commit our lives to you, our resources to you, this church family to you, our facilities, our property, everything we have is in your hands to see your kingdom come and your will to be done. And we pray that we could be a land of grace uh, that meets the needs of people that are in desperate situations in this hour. May we be known um, as a place that is for people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can take a seat. We're in this series through the gospel of John, and we're picking up in John 8, verses 48 to 59. And before I get to the text, I want to share a little illustration. You know, as our nation gets more and more polarized, which it undoubtedly is, I don't think it's wrong to say that, but we see the demonstration of a very simple principle. When you get squeezed... Whatever is in you comes out. Have you ever noticed that? And let me just challenge you. Pay more attention to what comes out of you than others. <laughs> well, oh, my goodness. All right, Nessa. I'm just going <laughs> to. You in the front row is just. We're not taking questions right now, Nessa. <laughs> my six-year-old on the front row. She said, wait, so like poop? That's what she just said. <laughs> it's a very honest question. Nessa, we're using it as a metaphor. A metaphor means imagine your life is like a tube of toothpaste. Imagine all of our lives are like a tube of toothpaste. When we get squeezed, stuff comes out. (laughs) Can I preach like this? I don't know if this is going to (laughs) work. The thing about this uh, is we often don't realize what is really in us until we get squeezed. If there's bitterness and anger building up, when something happens that is like a no to us or something we deeply disagree with, anger and bitterness comes out of us. Sometimes there can be compassion in us and love and forgiveness in the core of us. And it might not be what first comes out, but ultimately, then that comes out. Sometimes there's even hatred in our hearts that we are not fully aware of. And when we get squeezed, stuff comes out. And the thing about stuff coming out, and you guys know this, is once it comes out, you can't really get it back in. And I'm just going to leave this here for the rest of my sermon. I forgot to move this book, so I want you to see the blob right there. I'm going to leave that there, and I'm going to come back to it at the end of this message. But I want to challenge you with this question today. What is in you? What are you filled with? And the theme of this whole series through the Gospel of John has been this. In a world that's filled with cynicism and death, we can be filled with belief and life through Jesus. That's really good news. We want to not be filled with the cynicism that is all around us, the hatred that is all around us. We want to be filled with belief in life through Jesus, and we believe that this theme of believing in Christ as the Messiah is the theme of this entire book of John. And today's message is called Delight or Denial. So we're picking up in John 8, 48. It's a very intense conversation between Jesus and some of the Jewish people. It started with some of the Jewish leaders. Now it's just among 
the Jewish people that are surrounding Jesus at the time. And so we pick right up with uh, some very intense language, and we're going to go through it verse by verse after I read it. But let's just start with the reading of the text. You can turn there in your Bible on your phone. It'll also be on screen. The Jews answered Jesus, aren't we right in saying that you are Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. At this, they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Powerful encounter that they're having there. And I just want to take us through a few explanations that will give us uh, deeper insights into what is happening here and how it applies to us. Jesus is God in the flesh. And scripture teaches us that he's fully God and fully man. And so these Jews that are encountering Jesus are having an encounter with the living God. And so this whole interaction can very much be insight for us into our interactions with the living God. The fact that it is Jews that, keeps, that, that the text keeps on referring to is because at this time, Jesus was only, for the most part, interacting with the Jews. The gospel had not been proclaimed outside of the Jewish culture yet to the Gentiles. It has nothing to do with something that is wrong with the Jewish people, except for the fact that they are like all humans, and we have a sinful nature that wrestles against God like this. You tracking with me? So this is an example to us of our encounters with God. They are resisting God. They are resisting truth. And Samaritans in that time were considered less then. They were actually considered like dogs with no inheritance, outcasts of society, no honor, not treated well. So when they say, you, aren't you a Samaritan, Jesus? They're basically saying, you are like a dog that has no inheritance. How could you be making these claims? And they go so far as to say that he's demon-possessed. So they are resisting Jesus in very intense ways. And I just want to kind of pastorally bring up that this can happen to us even when we're in Christ. So even if we're already followers of Jesus, like many of us in this room are, we can still resist him when the truth gets hard. We can resist specific things he's wanting to do in our heart and in our mind. Sometimes it's because we had a season of pain. And now coming out of that, we find ourselves resistant. Or we've been dabbling with temptation and sin, and we're trying to justify it, so we're resisting. Or maybe we've had deeply unmet expectations or we're afraid or we're riddled with anxiety, so we're resisting God. And we might not use that language 
but our actions can reveal it. And this first principle today is uh, a warning based on this story. If we keep resisting Jesus, we'll miss the invitation to new life and eventually deny him. And I would add one edit to this. If we resist Jesus and keep resisting Jesus, because I'm in no way trying to make the assumption that all of us here are resisting Jesus, uh, but it's important that we assess ourselves and we ask God to search us and know our hearts. Because if there are areas of resistance that we double down and keep resisting, we will eventually get to the point where we're missing the life he offers us and we will full on deny him. It's similar to what the Jewish people were doing because when they first started this interaction with Jesus, they were not so harshly uh, and in a settled way set against him. They were just going back and forth a little bit, but it escalated and escalated and they're doubled down their resistance until they get to full denial. The good news is that we all at times resist the truth of God in our lives and at any moment we can stop and shift it into surrender. Even when you don't understand, our posture in Christ is meant to be, I surrender all. Even when we feel unqualified, our posture is meant to be, I surrender all. And the other side of that first principle is number two. If we keep surrendering to Jesus, we'll walk in new life and learn to delight in him. So the question is, what are we filled with? Delight or denial? Look at these two scriptures that talk about delight. Psalm 37, 23. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Who would like to have firm steps? Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, this is a wildly misunderstood verse because when we delight in the Lord, he changes our heart, right? So we delight in him. He changes our heart, he renews our desires, and he fulfills our desires. I wanna give you two grids to try to assess where you're at. If you're moving towards God, there will be time that you sense resistance to truth. Even in your life pursuing Jesus, we all know this. What I wanna encourage you to do is be aware of areas you're resisting and turn it into surrender and make that a habit. Turn your resistance into surrender, turn your resistance into surrender, turn your resistance into surrender, and eventually you are learning to delight in the Lord. The other side, if you're moving away from God, you're missing turning resistance into surrender and you're doubling down on resistance. And then eventually your resistance becomes denial and straight up accusation to the point where you get like these people who are interacting with Jesus and they're saying, you're demon possessed. Who do you think you are? All these kinds of accusations. Let's read on of what happens in this story. Verse 49, I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. And I I believe you could just hear Jesus' heart here trying to say, hey guys, I'm not in this for myself. I'm not trying to glorify myself. I don't have a personal agenda. Even his disciples were trying to make Jesus the physical king to like overthrow the Roman empire. But Jesus knows what he's headed towards is great sacrifice and suffering and death. And he's trying to explain to them, I am here at my father's will. And then he gives the invitation again, which is so beautiful right in the middle of this, he says, very truly I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. 
So even in the intense conversation, he says, whoever, which includes them. It's like he's reminding them, this invitation goes out to you. That's why what we talked about in regards to our response uh, to the Roe v. Wade decision earlier is so important because we can't get to the place where we're accidentally communicating, hey, you're now just out. We need to keep communicating. Whoever would come to the Lord can have eternal life, right? That invitation must remain central. But then if you look at their response, it shows they're going more towards denial than delight because they just doubled down in verse 52. They exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? So now what they're doing is they're trying to justify their denial. And this is just part of our sinful human nature. Whatever we are accepting in our life, even if it is resisting God, we will eventually begin to justify it. I've seen it in my life. I've also seen it over and over again in the lives of people that I've tried to lead to the Lord. Uh, family members, friends, time and time again, if someone starts doubling down on resistance rather than surrender, they really start to justify their position. Why do you think people get so dead set against God? Sometimes even after having encounters with God. So opposed, so accusatory, so angry about it. It's an attempt in our human nature to justify what is happening in our life. Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father whom you claim as God is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and I obey his word. Jesus simply pointing to the fact that he's walking with his father and declaring the truth that he hears his father say, then he explains, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus did this earlier in the chapter. We looked at it a couple of weeks ago, but he points out the distinction between these Jewish people and their, and their father Abraham. He says, you are not acting like your father. He says, if Abraham was your father, you would not be acting like this. Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. And though Abraham didn't exactly know what was coming with Jesus. Based on this text, we know that he had some kind of expectancy for what God would do, though he did not know what it would look like, but he was glad for it. And then this threw the people over the top. You were not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you've seen Abraham? I can see them like hitting their buddies and be like, now we know this guy's nuts. This guy is crazy. He, he thinks he's seen Abraham. Like, can you see the, how powerfully the, the, the concept of group think is? Have you guys ever studied group think? It's how if a certain group of people that you somehow identify with starts gradually doing things that crazier and crazier and crazier, you will eventually just go along with it. It's called group think. People are capable of doing things way beyond what we could ever imagine when they do it in groups things they would never do as individuals. And so they're doubling down together, being like, this guy is totally nuts. We are now completely against him to the point that they're starting to have hatred and murder in their hearts towards Jesus. I can only believe that this is much of what has happened uh, with abortion over the last 50 years in our nation. I mean, I honestly feel like uh, there will come a time in the future or we will look back on a season where that many Babies made in the image of God 
had lives taken from them that culture celebrates. If there's ever an example of groupthink, I think that would be it. And it's so powerful that now people who are opposed to it can be persecuted by that culture, right? And ousted by that culture. And I think, and that's not to, that is in no way to shame anyone here that, that is not on the same page with me on this point, or if you've had an abortion, zero shame, zero condemnation. But it shows the ability of our human nature to justify whatever we are doing. Then Jesus makes a declaration, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Man, I would have loved him and standing there in that moment. If you study the text here, he is using the divine name that God gives himself. It's the same name that God used for himself to Moses. Remember when God was trying to get Moses' attention because he wanted to send Moses to free the people of Israel and Moses meets God at the burning bush. You remember that story? And God starts speaking to him through the burning bush and Moses resists God a lot and finally says, okay, I'll go, but who should I say is sending me? And God says, say that I am sent you. And he says, I am that I am. You know, all of us here, as humans, we can't say that. We can only say, I am because my parents were. And they were because their parents were. Jesus is essentially saying, I exist because I exist. It's beyond our comprehension. But he's clearly declaring that he is God. Have no doubt about it. Jesus declares that he is God. This helps us understand the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've noticed this, but our world and our culture around us tends to be okay with thinking about Jesus as a great teacher, or they tend to be okay with thinking about Jesus as maybe even a prophet. Other religions even will call Jesus a prophet. It's when you start saying Jesus is God and the only way to salvation that all hell breaks loose. And I would submit, you'll notice the same thing in your own heart and life. You will at times try to justify away things, claims that Jesus is making in your own ways, ways that God is confronting you in the person of Jesus. And what I'm basically encouraging you to do based on this text is surrender to Jesus, the living God. I love this truth, number three. In Jesus, there is no beginning and no end. This is incredible news for us because it means Jesus, our great savior, never gets tired. Any tired people out there that are like glad that Jesus doesn't get tired? Anybody with me at all? Jesus, our great savior, in whom there is no beginning and no end, never runs out of supply, ever. There is more than enough for everyone of everything. This is Jesus. This Jesus who has no beginning and no end, our great savior can never be shaken. His salvation never changes, his power never changes, and his invitation to you and to our neighbors never changes. That is really good news. And then we see what these people did that he was interacting with. They picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. The fact that they went to stone him shows us two things really clearly. In that time, someone could only be stoned if they did something that was deserving of death by the law. And at this point, 
they said, this man has committed blasphemy, which was deserving of death. And this is a gruesome thing. If you just imagine people standing around another person throwing rocks at them until they die, that's what they now got to the point we're willing to do to Jesus. It also shows us that what Jesus said a little bit earlier in this chapter was true. Before this escalated to this point, Jesus said, if I keep telling you the truth, you're going to want to kill me. And they were like, Who t- who's talking about killing you? What do you mean? Fast forward 30 minutes <laughs> or however long it was. I mean, it's worth noting. They are willing to stone Jesus because he's telling them the truth. I believe there's some powerful applications here that are simple but profound as the worship team comes on back up. I invite you to search your heart right now. If there is any area of resistance in you, and I pray if there is any area of resistance in me to the truth, to the person of Jesus, God in the flesh, to the work of the spirit of God in my life, Lord, I wanna move from resistance to surrender. And then if that resistance has turned into denial, the the, the ultimate destination of resistance, if there's any denial in me, Lord, I want my denial to move to delight. So we want to surrender to Jesus and delight in Jesus. And there's a great example that we're going to close with. If you fast forward about five chapters in the book of John, um, it's a great example of shifting from resistance to delight. And it's with this guy, Simon Peter. He was one of the disciples of Jesus. We did a whole series on the life of Peter early last year, I think. You can go check it out if you want. It was just a a really fun teaching series because Peter is such a crazy character. He's so flawed. He speaks things that are on his mind that are way off a lot. He was the one who denied Jesus three times when when Jesus would have needed him the most as a friend. And yet he's the one that Jesus said, I'm building my, my church on this rock. He's just a fascinating character. And there's one time in John 13 where Jesus, before he goes to the cross, is trying to wash his disciples' feet which is a big deal in that culture. These would have been filthy feet. And typically, anyone that you would call a friend or on the same level with you would not wash your feet. That was the culture. He came to Simon Peter, who said to Jesus, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. In other words, Jesus says, yes, (laughs) I'm gonna wash your feet. No, said Peter. You know what that's called? Resistance. No, said Peter to Jesus. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. What a beautiful picture of an encounter with God where Peter, who's just like us, says, no, you, can, you, you will never do this in my life. I, I, I have an immediate resistance to whatever you're saying to me right now. It's just a no. But then if you have enough of that humility inside of you, which Peter demonstrated here, you can shift from that resistance to surrender. And look how drastically Peter shifted. And this is what I'm praying for you. He went from resistance and denial to, to understanding where he said, actually, Jesus, not just my feet, but pour your water all over me. Wash me completely. If this is what it means to be in you, I give you everything. You see the glad surrender? You see the beautiful shift? And here's what's so amazing about this good news, this gospel of Jesus. This blob 
that comes out of us that we all have. It, none of us are proud of it. <laughs> the, the stuff that comes out usually day after day. Some of it's good, but none of us are perfect. And this amazing gospel allows us to do what Peter did right here. He said no to Jesus. He got squeezed and what came out was no. He got squeezed and what came out was never. You will never do this in my life, Jesus. But then he humbled himself, received the word from Jesus, changed his tune. And you know why he's able to do that? Because of the good news, which says this, Jesus comes in the flesh, takes our place, dies on the cross, forgives us through the shedding of his blood, allows his body to be broken so our body can be whole. And he takes it and he puts it right in the trash. And he says, now you have a brand new life. Every day. Now you are the greatest tube of toothpaste possible. Isn't that amazing? Whatever the best toothpaste is, it's what you are in Christ. And that's what's going to come out. And it's all based on grace. It's all based on mercy. So if you're with me today and you'd like to respond to Jesus, close your eyes with me, bow your hearts. Lord, I know how many times I've been just like Peter. I know how many times I've been just like those Jewish people that were, that were communicating with you and fighting you. And Lord, today we just wanna take the posture of Peter and, and allow you to soften our heart and change our no to a yes transform our resistance to surrender. We want to learn what it is to absolutely delight in you, Jesus, and say, not just my feet, but my head and my hands. Pour everything over me and into my life that you want for me, God. Everything, everything that you are, everything that you had in mind for me before I was even in my mother's womb, I want it. I want the fullness of your life in me. Everything in your word that you said I should walk in, I want. I want to know you. Forgive me for resisting. Forgive me for denying. That's our simple prayer. Glad surrender. Holy surrender. Sweet surrender. Beautiful repentance that changes our perspective, renews our mind, renews our heart. Thank you, God, for life in Christ. Thank you for belief. Thank you for filling us with your spirit. Church, make no mistake about it. We've been called for such a time as this. God has called us to be a city on a hill, to call to our neighbors, love and serve. And what we're doing right now, connecting with the heart of the Father, sends us out of the world, right? And we are on a mission. Don't get distracted by, by, by things that happen. Go out and reach people in the name of Jesus and be salt and light. He has called us for this time. He has called you for this time. You would not be here if you weren't a part of this whole plan. So Lord, we just say yes to that. If you're new in the faith, we wanna talk with you and pray with you and equip you, please let me know or Pastor Oscar know. Um, if, if God is doing significant things in you and you'd like counsel, you can meet Pastor Rob as well, can meet with you, we can pray with you. If you're wrestling with the cultural stuff, regardless of what side of things you're on and you just need safe space to talk and receive ministry, this is your place. Look no further. Hang with us, talk with us. Um, we would love to just be a part of your story and whatever's going on. Let me pray this benediction, then we'll be dismissed. The Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be among you and remain with you always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great afternoon.